You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We are a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change Recovery Podcast. My name is Ashley Loeb Lassingame, and I am your host. And today we have a Q&A. Scott, what do we got? Uh, Q&A. Was I supposed to come with something today? Mm-hmm. That was my job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Right, right. Just, no, I got one. I got one. Oh, I'm you just got, okay, with okay. You. I'm just you, got, you got dad jokes. Yeah, that was just a funny bit. It was hilarious, it was, right? Yeah, I, yeah, it was good. Because <laughs> like I didn't, and then I did. Do you, you ever start a bit and you kind of hate yourself oh, halfway into it and then you can't the back time. out? I all have to finish. Time. I have to. <laughs> you got to commit. You're committed. So you're going in. But man, it feels bad as you go down that hole. You can't take, you got to take the full swing. You yeah. do. You yeah. know, you don't take have a the choice. Full swing, but, but midway through the swing, you're like, this is a miss. You go, mm, I, I've got a sense. Not good. Mm, not There's good. a little sweat coming. You know, your mm-hmm. body's telling you. It's yeah. trying to say, Arr! but you can't. You can't yep. do nope. it. Well, our Q&A for today is how to handle an addict who tries to normalize their addiction. So this would be somebody who they've got all the excuses, they've got all the logic, they've been able to prove their point in a million different ways that, you know, what what's going on right here is it's perfectly normal. Perfectly normal. Nothing to perfectly worry about. Normal. Ashley, what do what do we do when somebody comes to us like this? This can be a tough uh customer to tough get customer. through to, right? Well, I just want to say I don't think I've met an addict who didn't at some point in time try to normalize their addiction, alcoholism, whatever, uh, however, whatever their substance of no choice is. But you know, usually let's let's do a vignette with it. So Johnny is telling you that it's super normal to drink the way he drinks. And usually it's everyone I know is blacking out all my friends or whatever. I'm actually the best out of my friends. That's my favorite. Mm. And what we're taught in recovery and what we, you know, what we know is that we seek out people where we're not going to be the worst one. Mm -hmm. That's not typically where we hang out and we seek like companions. So me saying, oh, all my friends drink the way I do. Well, yeah, I'm going to find people who drink the way I do or use the way I do because otherwise you're going to, it's an uncomfortable feeling. When a person is using that as an example, typically they have opted into a group where that's going to be the case, where people drink or use the way they do and maybe they're not even as bad. And that's going to be the metric with which they start to count themselves. But it's by design. It's a self-selecting process. And this question really gets to, what do you say to somebody when they're standing there saying this to you? Like, well, I'm not as bad as my friends. If you're the person on the other end of that comment, what might you say? What I think is the best route is not to attack the friends that won't get you anywhere and not even to get into the details of how much is too much or what the metrics for a problem are. I think the best way to go about it is I continue to be concerned and I hear what you're saying and I hear that you feel like 
you're not as bad as your friends. So you can repeat back what you heard them say. I hear that you feel like you're not as bad as your friends and that blacking out is normal. I continue to feel that your drinking is problematic and I'm concerned about it, even if your friends also drink that way. What about the achievement variety? So the person who has found the math to cancel out what's happening through high achievement. What do we do with this particular? This is not Johnny. This is Jim. This is a very different person. Hello, Jim. Jim. Um, Jim says, but I have a job. I have a car. I have this hot wife. I have these great kids. I have all these things. I'm not losing anything. In fact, they do Ironmans even, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Those are my fave. Yeah. So what do you say to that? So for the people who hold up their achievement as the benchmark for why it's okay, in my personal, I'll give you some examples. The calls I've had with some of these people are like, well, I'm drinking a handle of vodka every three days or whatever it is, but I run a marathon, you know, every Friday and I drink green juice and I cleanse and I blah, 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 blah. And my comment to them is, it seems like you're so focused on health and wellness. Why is it that when it comes to this one area of your life, you're willing to make unhealthy decisions when when it's such a value of yours. It's clear that it's really important to you to do well and to have a family and to have all these things. My concern is not that you've lost them already, but that you're putting those things at risk by drinking as much as you do. You know, alcohol or drugs make you act in a way that I'm concerned you may lose some of those achievements or it may hurt some of the achievements that you clearly care so much about. What do you feel like are the most effective ways to get sort of into those reality questions? So it's like, I feel like that's often at the heart of anybody's experience, right? Is I have sensory tools that are trying to tell me the truth about my world and they're calibrated in a particular way. And so the world around me that I see, I see it that way. And so to try to convince somebody not to trust those mechanisms, those things that are like their navigation tools. Like, how do you find that you're able to get through when it seems to be sort of a sometimes maybe a conversation about perception of reality? So it's unlikely that you are going to convince someone who has a very strong interest in convincing themselves and they're working hard at it, that you're going to be able to convince them that you're right and they're wrong, particularly as it relates to addiction, because once it's off to the races, it's much more powerful than the logic. So having the conversation is often futile in the way that most people have it, to be perfectly honest. It's you're not you're not really going to convince them. But what what I do find powerful and I have done it in my personal life. I actually have someone in my personal life where I do this with currently, which is they start talking and they start describing the problem being something other than what I know it is. So let's just pretend that it's alcohol and they're describing, they're saying, well, you know, I have these car problems and I just don't know what to do. And can you believe all cars are made terribly? In reality, you know that they have car problems because they drink so much that they keep hitting things or whatever. They're telling you it's really that all cars are made badly. And what I do for that is I say that, hey, listen, I hear that you think that all cars are made badly. I 
really believe that you are putting yourself in danger by being intoxicated in these cars. And I love you very much. And so I'm going to ask that we talk about a different topic because I'm not willing to sit here and listen to that topic. I hear that that's what you believe. And I understand that. And I don't expect to change your mind. But my boundary is that I don't want to talk about that topic. What's powerful about it is that you're not telling them they're wrong. You're not telling them that you're not going to talk to them, which I mean, you can do, but you're saying, I'm not going to engage in this conversation, in this topic. I don't want to talk about this topic. You know where I stand. Respectfully, you know where I stand and I'm not going to have the conversation. So if you're sitting there telling me how all the police are corrupt and, you know, everything's corrupt and whatever. And the reality is that the police are catching you with illegal substances. And that's why you think all, you know, we are no longer going to talk about the police because I don't want to get into it and I don't want to be part of that conversation. And what it does is it forces that person to hear you without getting into an argument with you about the topic because you're not arguing about the topic. You're saying, I'm not going to discuss it because I respectfully don't agree. Mm. But Mm. you have to not discuss it, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm making sense. Like you can't, they can't, you have to not get into it. You, if you, if you are like, I'm not going to talk about it. And they're like, why, you know, and then you start to, you take the bait, then forget it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But I want to take the bait, Ashley. Can't I just, mm-hmm. can I just take it? Cause I'm, I'm you right. You take here. it all day long. I'm right. You know, yeah. at the end of the day. Good luck with that. But I'm right though, Ashley. I know. It's a very normal part of addiction to negotiate and try to make sense of your own behavior. And Typically, with your loved one, they in the certainly in the early stages, they have control over all these other areas of their life. But when it comes to this one area of substances, they have their behavior is uncontrollable and it gets worse and worse over time. It is extraordinarily confusing having been that person to be like, okay, so I'm able to use my logic to manage everything else in my life successfully, except this one thing. My logic doesn't work. My logic does not work. That's a very hard concept to swallow. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would my brain be a problem solver in every other facet of my life except this one. Then even when you do start to get your arms around it, it's hard to stop doing it because you're trying to fix your broken brain with your broken brain. So it's normal to try to normalize your addiction, your substance use as the person struggling since you're not probably going to convince that person that they're wrong and that life and circumstances are going to have to do that. You being unwilling to give them a place to spew the denial is a really helpful thing. It's one less place that they can say these lies to themselves and other people. What about, so I know there are no magic words, there's no magic phrases, but can you recall specific phrases that people said to you that did have a hang on quality to them? They were something that you couldn't throw away. They hung around and they stuck with you for some reason. People said, well, it's not normal to wonder if you're an alcoholic. It's not normal to joke about being an alcoholic. I would say, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm a drunk. Alcoholics go to meetings. Ha ha ha. And uh, it's... It's not normal, you know, to consume as much as you consume. It's not normal to change 
Most people change their behavior to meet their goals. It's not normal to change your goals to meet your behavior. They said that, I remember they told me that it wasn't normal to black out all the time, which I genuinely didn't know. Although, you know, again, it gets weird when you get into like college age and teenagers and all this stuff, like there is some amount of discernment here that's, that's tough. But I did not know that it wasn't normal to black out. <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought I thought it was like part of drinking, like, woo, where are we going to end up? And uh, like, choose your adventure, except you don't choose. So when I started to hear about the things that weren't normal, like, oh, it's not normal to make those jokes, like a joke about being addicted or like being a whatever. It's not normal to black out. It's not normal to wonder. That kind of stuff. I was like, oh, I, I didn't know that. And then my boyfriend, I've famously talked about this on the podcast where like my the first time I ever knew I had a cocaine problem was that my boyfriend challenged me to stop. And I genuinely thought I could. No idea that I couldn't stop. And so there were things people said to me that caused me to reflect, but no single thing undid the chemical grip, the change in neural pathways that had been there already. But it's certainly, I remember, I've brought that with me over time, but Mm -hmm. no silver bullet. What role does the messenger play? Like as in the form the messenger takes, does that go into the accounting of things, anything like that? Like, did you find that you could only accept it from people who when you when you finally started going to meetings or were there other people that you were able to hear what they were saying better or worse? Unfortunately, nothing my parents said went anywhere. Like, I, I don't even remember most of it. The stuff I do remember, I remember I remember not taking it seriously. So I think the messenger does matter. You're not going to listen to your parents because typically they have you feel like they have a motive. You feel like there's so much baggage there. I think there's value when the person doesn't have a lot of baggage with you, when they can say something to you and whatever feeling that creates is not mixed with other experiences. That can be an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or a friend, depending on what their experiences are. But certainly people who've been there had the experience that I had, I listened to more. It is pretty difficult to listen to people who don't know what it feels like. And there's a credibility you automatically have when you've been to the same depths. And it's kind of like going to war. Like it's going to be hard to take advice or take feedback from someone who hasn't been to war when that's what you've in it and being in the throes of addiction and making choices, you know, using against your will, drinking against your will. If you don't understand what that's like, then talking to me about my choices doesn't feel relevant because you don't know what it means to not have a choice. What about if this person never gets the opportunity, but they're listening right now? What is what would you say to listener who is we don't know everything about them, but we know that these thoughts have been entering their mind. They've been wondering, what would you have to say to them right now? I know what it feels like to not be able to live with it and not be able to live without it. It feels like there's no future, no past, that you're stuck in this purgatory, in this washing machine of lack of choices combined with bad choices and 
wanting to just disappear off the planet. And I know what it feels like to want to stop more than anything and to be able to use your sheer will to move heaven and earth for everything else in your life except this one thing. Those are the feelings of being an addiction, of being an alcoholism, of feeling like you can't live with it, you can't live without it. It's the one thing you have no ability to use your willpower on. And the embarrassment or the almost disbelief that that could be possible. And yet it is. The sooner I was able to admit that to someone someone who had been there, someone who'd gone through the things that I had gone through and ask them how to get out, what the path out of this horrible spin cycle was, the sooner I got well. And you have to take somebody else's word for how to get better. You are not a bad person trying to get good. You are a sick person trying to get well. And you are not going to fix your broken brain with your broken brain. And you're certainly not going to do it by yourself. Ask for help and you will save yourself a lot of consequences because this condition is progressive. It gets worse, not better. So if you leave it untreated, if you continue where you are, if any of these feelings resonate with you, it is not going to get better. It is going to get worse. So please, please reach out. If you're not sure where to reach out, you can always reach out to me. My email is ashley at lionrockrecovery.com. You can check out Lion Rock's professional services, lionrockrecovery.com. You can check out our community. There are free 12-step meetings on there and other non-denominational meetings at lionrock.life. If none of those things are appealing, feel free to email me and I can point you in the right direction. I hope everyone is having a wonderful day and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a diverse and supportive recovery community offering weekly over 70 online peer support meetings, useful recovery information, and entertaining content. Whether you're newly sober, have many years in recovery, or you're recovering from something other than drugs and alcohol, we have space for you. Visit www.lionrock.life today and enter promo code COURAGE for one month of unlimited peer support meetings free. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.